This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. I've got a bevy of authors and storytellers with me right now. Now, can you remember Australia in the 1970s? There was moratoriums against the Vietnam War. Gough Whitlam became Prime Minister. There was free uni education. And Helen Reddy was singing, I am woman. Our author... Kirsten Alexander was only a young girl at the time, but I do welcome you back to Published or Not. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Second book. Fantastic. Um, Being older than you at this time, I also remember Queensland being a bit of a backwater. Joe Bajoki Peterson, disallowed gatherings. There was censorship. And real stories about police corruption. And this is where I'm going to get Kirsten to start off by reading a bit from page 277, the back of the book. The back of the book. We're starting at the ending. Um, This part is spoken by Abby, who's one of the two narrators. Abby and her brother Charlie tell the story in Riptides. And Abby's um, at Queensland University on campus. And she says, the students want change. They're hungry for it. In other parts of Australia, people are struggling to keep up with change, feel like they're hurtling into the future without helmets. But our Premier has dug his heels in and is resisting every attempt by the federal government to civilise Queensland. Peterson makes it clear he loathes students, feminists, darkies, homos and communists. He laughs at the media while he sells our state to overseas developers, every bit of beachfront and any land that can be mined, and looks away as heritage-listed buildings are bulldozed in the dead of night. It doesn't seem to matter that he's barely able to string a sentence together. He rules with iron-fisted resolve. Mm, Yeah, sounds a little bit like other. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you mentioned Abby. Her husband, Mark, is one of your characters. What's his job? Um, Mark's a a TV journalist and he... um, He's he's very political in nature, and at that time, I think it mattered, I wouldn't say more than ever, or certainly not more than now, but it was very important in Queensland to have an alternative voice. Um, there was an alternative voice in the radio that was 4 triple. well, no, actually, 4 Z didn't exist at this point, mm. it came later, um, but it was very important for the media to offer an alternative to what was being told to the people by the government. Oh, yes. So <clears throat> Mark's a bit of a celebrity, being mm-hmm. seen on the news, uh, filing reports. He's also the husband and father, but has a mate, Jim. Now, tell us a bit about the dinner party. The dinner party was when um, <clears throat> Abby and her husband go to, to Jim and his, his wife's oh. um, place for dinner. And I, I again, I'm, I'm not sure that things that happen in the past don't don't just keep happening forever. So this is probably something that could have happened last week. But Jim admires Mark because Mark's on telly and yeah. Mark's famous and he's got an audience. And uh, the women have to just play, not groupies, but they just have to sit and listen yeah. while the men admire one another. Uh-huh. And it's it, it gets Abby's goat because <sighs> she, she loves her husband, she admires his work, but she knows that there are a lot of people out there doing important things in hospitals mm. and schools and making roads and cleaning up our garbage, and they don't get this kind of adulation. Oh, and, of course, you know, um, Jim thanks his wife by giving her a pat on the bottom for making a nice pavlova. What oh. else would you do? <laughs> the attitude to women. Abby is going back to uni to finish her law degree. What does a father think about this? And, uh, well, I think we're going to get a Kirsten to read from page 101. 
You know, as the father said, it was enough for your mother, nothing to scoff at. It's dignified work to take care of your home, husband and raise a family. And this is, he goes on further. So the father, talking to his daughter, says, well, why do you want to be a lawyer then? What are you trying to prove? Mark earns a good salary. You'll make his life harder by being at university. Now you have kids to look after. Who'll be doing that? I suppose you expect him to, as well as his job, so you can go off and do what you want. Which, by the way, he flicks his hand angrily in my direction. Plenty of lawyers in the world without you. Yeah, you don't need to show off. Mm. Now, her father has also a very distinct views of what son Charlie is doing. What is he doing? Um, Charlie's living his best oh. life. <laughs> he finished uni and then he mucked around a bit and took off to Bali where he surfs and he uh, works in a restaurant. There aren't very many around at that time, so he and a couple of mates opened a cafe in Kuta near the beach. Oh, and they're just having a good time. <laughs> so, you know, he's he's come back and he knows he has to talk with his father, but he feels that he's really grown away. Well, let's, let's get his point of view from page 56. Okay. Oh, God, I hope my reading's not driving people mental. Um, okay, so... Uh, Charlie's wondering about if he went and had a beer with his dad, what would that be like? What would we talk about? How incredible it is to surf the endless break at Uluwatu, mind-altering after mushrooms, what he feeds his chickens. We've reached the age where he wants my approval more than I want his, which makes me feel kind of bad for him and makes him boring company. Abby says he's worried about me being directionless, but I reckon when I talk about my life in Bali, he's out of his depth, maybe even jealous. Makes me tired to think about it. Mm, so he has no... There's there's mutual disrespect, I think, between that oh, father yeah. and son. <laughs> there's the connection between water, Charlie surfing, and Abby very comfortable in knowing her skills in water currents. The title is Riptide. What's a riptide? I think um, part of growing up in Queensland, even though Brisbane is not on the coast, is a familiarity with water. We have to learn to swim very young. I I grew up in Brisbane. I'm not sure if that was the same down here, but we had to learn to swim very young. We spend a lot of time at the beach and uh, going to various off-the-coast islands like Stradbroke and Bribie. And so we all know about rips, which are dangerous mm. because it's the water pushing and pulling at the same time and you, you lose control of, of where you want to go. So water is very um, important in Queensland life, I think, and the idea of different forces pulling you around seemed to make sense to me as far as Queensland. Well, there's a memory. Uh, the father is a, a teacher and he teaches them about physics and uh, Abby remembers learning about every action having a, having a reaction. And Charlie talks about karma. So Mm -hmm. how are these two linked? I am not enough of a philosopher to explain the difference between um, (laughs) action and reaction and and, uh, action and consequence, I guess, karma and the laws of motion. But I I do feel that the idea of uh, motion having consequence is a theme. So on Australia Day, 1974, Abby had to cancel the neighbourhood gathering what do Mark and Abby do instead? Oh, well, there's, there's a flood. There's so a flood. they need to go rescue their neighbour. <laughs> yeah. Lou is Abby's best friend and Lou is envious of Abby's ability to be super mum or is she? You have Abby thinking about the flood from page 28. Right. This is um, 
This is after the flood is gone and floods leave a lot of uh, damage in their wake. The flood wasn't part of my plan, not part of anyone's. These few days will derail us for months. I know now that I should have recognised the flood as a warning, a caution. Everything I thought I could control was uncontrollable. Life, insistent, persistent, was about to take on new shapes, shimmery and unpredictable as petrol on a wave. We've given you backstory about all of this, but the book actually starts on Friday the 6th of December. Abby has picked up Charlie from Brisbane, where he's flown in from Bali, and they're driving to their father's farm. It's a number of hours away. And now Kirsten Alexander is going to read the first paragraph of her book, Riptides. Charlie is speaking. I wake when Abby shouts. She reaches across me and grabs the steering wheel, a car horn braze. White beams flare at us, then pitch to the right. For an instant, a rump of blue metal shines into the headlights. I elbow my sister out of the way and take the wheel, leaning back hard so I don't slam my head into it. Abby flattens her hands against the dashboard as I break and strain to control our sideways skid. She screams my name. We sling to one side of the narrow dirt road and the other car slings the opposite way, like wrong ends of a magnet made to meet. We swirl to an angled stop, pointing into scrappy bushland. So what happened? Um... So this, is, this isn't giving away oh, okay. anything yeah, about don't, the book. I don't want to read Because things. this all happens in the first paragraph. Mm, right into it. They, they've caused an accident. I, I say they because there were two people in the car, but obviously there was only one driver, and they were both asleep. Both the driver and the passenger were asleep in the car, forced another driver off the road who was pregnant, and she dies. Right. <laughs> there are police involved... And Sergeant Roberts certainly wants to solve the mystery because there is a mystery. What's the mystery of the car accident? Um, um, again, I, I worry about giving away too much, but the, the mystery is who was the woman? And she, what, she didn't just die in the car. She was outside the car. She, she was, when the police found her, she was lying on the ground in a way that makes no sense to them. She couldn't possibly have fallen that way and her window was down and there was a storm afterwards, so none of it makes a lot of sense to them. And they figure out fairly quickly that someone took her out of the car and lay her very carefully on the ground. Right. Oh, so there is the mystery and they pick up the father and bring him back to Brisbane, but he becomes the suspect. Mm, lots of tension in the house, and I wonder how the book will hold this, you know, because we know all about this, everything that's happened in the first paragraph, and it, 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 it sort of, you know, Mark, his job as a, a journalist, he picks up this tension, and then he's called away. Why? Christmas Day. Uh, why is why is, why is Mark, Mark called away? So he's moved out of the out of the household. So we have a, a release of a little bit of tension for a little while. What happened seventy four Christmas Day? Oh, I'm I'm. Oh, which which way are we heading? Oh, sorry, we're just I'm, cyclone Tracy. You I'm know, so sorry. You, okay, you yes. Connected it just after that. Um, yes, there is a cyclone up north oh, and um, Darwin. So he goes off to that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Abby's, you know, Abby feels, you know, she can live with herself and her dilemma. It will make my life worse and possibly destroy the lives of everyone around me if I tell the truth. 
better to hold it in and manage the pain. Now, this is Kirsten Alexander's great writing, that she can move the plot and still carry the tension. Oh, you're very kind. And, and you know, we, we, we sort of brought in with charismatic cult leaders, communal living, marijuana growing, police uh, involvement. And does the right of a child override the right of parents? Oh, you'll have to read it to find out. <laughs> You're a very kind and thoughtful reader. <laughs> We've been talking about Kirsten Alexander's book, The Riptides, but as I said, Kirsten's been in here before. She's, her previous book was called Half Moon Lake. Absolutely such a different story, different setting. But I guess in some ways um, some of the same concerns. They're, they're both about um, who is your family and what would you do for family and, like you said, the rights of the child and the rights of women as well. Mm. This wasn't the Half Moon Lake wasn't set in Australia. It was set over in America a long time, 19... No, 1910s, 10, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was absolutely amazed at this because around that time there was a lot of uh, children or orphans living in crowded and dangerous East Coast cities. So what it was, there was orphan trains and over 200,000 kids. It's amazing, isn't, isn't it? it? And, yeah. and I think it came from a well-meaning place, but it's not something that we would sanction now. But children were, were gathered up off the streets, mostly in New York City, and then put on trains and sent around the country to live with complete strangers who were not supervised in any way. Um, and they worked as farmhands or they were children for people who were unable to have their own children. Uh, and I guess the idea was any home was better than no home. Mm. Mm. That was, it was a very good read too. Very different read, but, uh, you know, because it dealt with sort of so many, oh, so many other types of families rather than this personal dilemma. Um, and you recently spoke, this is Kirsten Alexander, recently spoke at a Sisters in Crime event. The past is never dead. So much fun. They're amazing. Oh, <laughs> you were talking about the difference between fiction and non-fiction, especially as relating to historical mystery. It's a tricky one. I, I um, Because... Riptides was entirely out of my own brain. I didn't feel any dilemma there. But with Half Moon Lake, there were real people who lived through that story I fictionalised. So I had to tread very carefully as far as um, uh, being very clear that all of the characters were invented. They were inspired by real people, mm. but I was not telling real people's stories. Yeah. Ah. Well, <clears throat> also in the studio today... <clears throat> We've got, oh, sorry, sorry, uh, Tara Mitchell. She's the convener of Sisters in Crime. And she hasn't been here before, so I've got to say a double welcome to you, Tara. (laughs) That's very kind, Jan. It's lovely to be here. Now, we've often talked about Sisters in Crime on this program, but you better give us a quick rundown about what it is. Sure. Well, uh, we've been around since 1991, so we're uh, we're up for three decades now, which is pretty amazing. Uh, We're inspired by an American organisation of the same name, which was founded in 1986 by Sarah Patetsky and a host of other women crime writers at the uh, Bouchacon Crime Convention. Uh, We're now very pleased to announce we have chapters in New South Wales, South Australia and um, Queensland. So we are are everywhere. (laughs) I'm not surprised because whenever you have a meeting, it's, it's, you just get anybody there. (laughs) 
that that is true, and uh, we we do like to say, even though we promote uh, female crime writers, uh, men or brothers-in-law, as we affectionately <laughs> refer to them, I think that is so clever. Brothers-in-law, they are always welcome, uh, and quite often they end up winning winning the uh, the book raffles uh, at at our events. So they're, they're always very welcome. Um, how can people become involved? Uh, lots of ways to be involved. You can come to uh, any of our events. Most of the ones in Melbourne are held at the Rising Sun uh, in South Melbourne, which is where uh, Kirsten spoke last week. Uh, you can also check out our website, which is www.sistersincrime.org.au. Uh, you can sign up for the newsletter there and see what else is happening around around Australia. You've also got the David Awards coming up too, which you're asking for sh- asking for people to... Submit stuff. Submit, absolutely. This is for our published authors, so I think you will be in the running this year, Kirsten. Oh, would that really? be right? <laughs> I have not submitted, but um, there's a lot of great books. That little little reminder to submit for that one. <laughs> okay. uh, so the David Awards, are, we are in our 20th year of the David Awards, so there will be big celebrations Just for that one. Just before you go away, mm. David, you better explain who David was because... She's important. She is extremely important. Uh, so she, uh, the awards are actually named in honour of Ellen Davitt, who wrote Australia's first mystery novel, Force and Fraud, in 1865, would you believe? Mm-hmm. So um, the David Awards, it, it also has a category for short stories too. Uh, David Awards is for published novels only. Oh, uh, no, you're thinking of the Scarlet Stilettos. Oh, the Scarlet Absolutely. Stiletto. Oh, yeah, I think you better tell us more about the Scarlet Stiletto. So the Scarlet Stiletto is our short story competition we run every year. That's open to uh, all women, whether you're published or not. Uh, so you can submit stories for that. And people who've uh, won those or been shortlisted have actually gone on to be published. We've got people like um, uh, Tara Moss, uh, Dervla McTernan and so on. So it's a really good start out for emerging writers. Okay, well, what's some of the events coming up? Uh, So we've got two events coming up in April. Uh, Both of these are held at the Rising Sun in South Melbourne. Uh, So the first one is on the 3rd of April, and that's called Flawed Heroes. Uh, So there, our panel of Emma Viskich, Corinna Kilmore and Natalie Conyer will be chaired by Jackie Horwood, and they'll be exploring the flawed heroes of their crime novels as they grapple with an equally flawed world. Uh, So that's the first one we have coming up. Our second April event uh, covers a topic that all Australians uh, affects all of us, the terrible power of fire. Mm. Uh, The discussion's titled Burning Issues, Crime Writers Blaze a New Trail. Uh, So that one's on Friday, April 24. And our panel of Chloe Hooper, Kimberly Starr and Liesl Leighton uh, will be talking with Maggie Barron about how their crime books get up close and personal with arson and bushfires and confront some of the most uncomfortable realities of life in this sunburnt country. Oh, yes. Actually, there's been been quite a few books coming through about um, bushfires, which have been fascinating. Flawed heroes. Now, Kirsten Alexander, would you think of Abigail as a flawed hero? Well, I feel for her because she's doing the best she can. Abigail's mother passed away when she was quite young, so Mm. she had to to grow up a little quicker than maybe some other people did. Her brother chose not to, so she's had to look after him and the dad and her own family. And uh, so she's flawed, but I think she's really doing the best she can. I think it was wonderful that she's she's got so many problems on that... um, 
when she had the house full of her own children and she had her father there and her brother staying there and the different as chalk as cheese, you know, one was very tidy, one was very, very messy. <laughs> but Charlie, the brother, was able to look at the way that she and Mark were interacting and thinking, oh, this is not a happy marriage. <laughs> Easy to look from the outside and judge, though, I think. <laughs> so um, now... You you spoke at the uh, Kirsten. You spoke at the with uh, Kirsty Manning, who's been on the program quite a few times, and uh, and so you spoke about historical mysteries. So was it just Half Moon Lake you were speaking about, or this one set back in nineteen seventy? Oh, this time around, I was speaking about Riptides, and um, there was another gorgeous writer there called Solari Gentle. Excuse me if I'm getting her name. Incorrect, but um, she was also amazing. Uh, Solari had just published her 10th novel in a detective series, so um, uh, there were three of us speaking about historical fiction, and I must admit that I felt like the fraud in the room because <gasps> I still struggle with the 70s being historical fiction. It doesn't feel that long ago I'm showing my age. Um, the other books were set in the much more distant past. Well, I've mm. found, as, you know, sort of with the books that I'm reading, so many of them are set back in the 80s because there's no mobile phones. And especially yes. for detective novels and things like this, this becomes quite an issue if they can just sort of ring up and get advice or, you know, Google something without having to do the hard plod. Tara, have you noticed that there's been um, lots more detective novels set back in time? There absolutely is, but uh, some people, some of the authors that we have are actually extremely clever about getting around that very story <laughs> uh, with mobile phones. I'll give you an example of uh, Emma Viskich with her novels with um, uh, Caleb, who's actually deaf. So obviously with a mobile phone, he could still read text and so on, but um, her novels get around the mobile phone issue in a very, very clever manner, so you should go out and read those. Oh, <laughs> we've, had, we've had Emma here constantly, course, yeah. and I, I I love that detective, you know, because he lip reads. He's really, you know, he's being belted up and, you know, people asking me questions and he sort of says, it'll be much better if you, you know, shaved so I could see your lips. That's right. Or can you beat me up in the light so I can see what you're asking me? Yeah, Emma Visit, very, very good book and Caleb, most interesting character. So, yes, yeah, you're Absolutely. right. How she's done that little twirl. Yeah. So... Kirsten Alexander, your mm-hmm. next book, is it going to have a historical mystery thread through it? Well, it's uh, I've only just begun. It's set in Yorkshire, present day, in a small oh, village. Oh, another at the continent. Base of the, another <laughs> continent, I know. <laughs> I can't travel much at the moment, so I'm doing a lot of virtual travel from my desk, which is you know, quite self-indulgent. Um, but set in Yorkshire, the only historical bit is that one of the characters has the backstory of having been at Greenham Common. I'm not sure if that's a familiar story Mm, in Australia, no. Greenham Common uh, had a women's peace camp for 19 years. It was an American military base in the middle of the English countryside that a lot of the local women objected to, and they set up camp around the perimeter, and they had it shut down. It took them a long time, but they were very persistent, and it's an amazing story. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to reading that, mm, okay. <laughs> with maybe a little bit of mystery involved. I hope so. I'll try. Because, you know, you, we know that you, the difference is you can see fiction and non-fiction. Yeah, get those characters out there. I have to get there. to work, don't I? Ah, <laughs> yes. And Tara Mitchell, now you've been with um, Sisters in Crime for the last two years. Yes. What's your background? Are you a writer, reader? 
I am an avid reader. I am attempting to write a crime novel and I have done exactly as you've suggested is set my novel back in the 80s so I don't have to deal with the <laughs> issue of mobile phones and computers. Um, but my background is more on sales and marketing so that's where I've helped out with events and our online presence and so on. Sisters in Crime, you know, you, you've really upped the ante on the look of the uh, the website and the magazine, the visual magazine that comes out. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're doing? Uh, I can claim credit for the uh, the newsletter, absolutely. <laughs> the, um, uh, the website, we there will be some changes coming up uh, with that one. Um, but yes, we, we're trying to uh, uh, appeal to a broader range of readers because a lot more people are online these days as well. So they can just tap in Sisters in Crime? and Absolutely. Uh, so you can search... Um, Uh, for our website um, or also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for Sisters in Crime Australia and we should be the first one to pop up. (laughs) Um, You know, what I am impressed with is it's sort of the, the reading groups that actually help each other. And I think a few of those have been set up through people, authors meeting through uh, Sisters in Crime. Absolutely. We do have, uh, particularly in Queensland and Perth as well, Sisters in Crime does operate more as a reading group. They don't have quite so many events. Um, But that's what we're all about is networking and getting people talking about amazing female crime writers. Mm. You bring out quite a few from overseas too, or if they're travelling. We do. We always try and snaffle them, yes. Val McDermott. She's always a favourite. She was the first author that I ever knew that did something which a lot of others do now is as a raffle prize you know you sort of pay your money go into a raffle (laughs) you get a character named after you I think she might have been the first one to ever do that was she Mm, that sounds about right for Val yes (laughs) always the trailblazer but um, uh, that is something that we're offering a little bit more with uh, some of our bigger events so we have done that for a couple of authors but it's such a fun idea and seeing your name in print is just wonderful but you don't get any authorship on what that character's like, do you? Unfortunately, no. You could end up as... <laughs> the murderer. Could, you could end up as the murderer or you could be any kind of character. So, yes, you just have to uh, trust the author with that one. I think that's a great idea. It's I think it's such fun. Absolutely. People would like to see their name yes. in lights. Well, Kirsten Alexander, you don't need to because you've, you've got your name in lights. <laughs> Can I just do a shout-out, though, for Sisters in Crime, who I, I, I am absolutely on the periphery and have only written two books, so... so not not in the core of it at all, but they're the most supportive group I've ever met. They are incredibly keen and enthusiastic readers, quite broad. I would say the word crime is used really broadly. It's yes. a big umbrella. And they are incredibly welcoming to new writers and to new readers. And I, I had signed up as a member, just a, like a Joe Public member. And it's, it's a terrific group. I had no idea. It's new to me, but I love it. And it's not just uh, fiction writers, is it? You've got a judge, I think, is part well, of your We group. do have a lot of women who are involved in all aspects of uh, crime. So forensic science, judges, police um, officers, uh, forensic examiners. So anything to do with true crime as well. Oh, absolutely, and we have quite a few true crime authors involved. Yes. Wow. <laughs> what can I say? Thank you, uh, Tara Mitchell, convener of Sisters in Crime. But a special thank you, Kirsten oh, Alexander. Oh, thank you for, for having us, me. Giving us such another fantastic read <laughs> and uh, your book Riptides. Now you got this as a two book contract didn't you? With, um... I did, oh. I did so now I have to hustle, I really have to make the third one worth it. <laughs> oh I don't think you'll have any problems in doing that at all. So um, thank you. So Kirsten Alexander Riptides published by Bantam and that's it for Published or Not today. So please if you've enjoyed this program and of course subscribe to uh, Sisters in Crime but also 
don't forget about subscribing to Published or Not and 3CR. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR.